Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Pat Donovan and I am not going to be talking to myself tonight. We've got Joe Saunders returning to the pod. What's up, Joe? (laughs) We got some World Series baseball. We're in the middle of World Series. We got Game 3 tomorrow. Um, It's not looking good for LA right now. Joe, have you sufficiently licked your wounds from the whooping the Astros got at the hands of the Red Sox? Man, I I gotta respect it. They played fucking mad good. Yeah. <laughs> they were just great. They yeah, the awesome right. defense. Freaking a billion two out RBIs. I mean, what can you do? You could just tip your cap and say, "Good luck." Yeah, and now they're basically doing the same thing to the Dodgers at this point. So, hopefully, we get a series out of it. But it's not looking good at this point. It's definitely not. All right, so we're gonna run through some. Uh, early ADP on the hitters side, highlight some interesting players, um, you know, in terms of their pricing, in terms of their performance last year, etc. But before we do, uh, we did have some news. Lance McCullers, um, his elbow injury, according to AJ Hinch, could cause him to miss most of the 2019 season. Um, the reports are a little hazy as to whether or not that is a final determination or whether he still needs additional testing. But with McCullers potentially out, and let's just for this for the sake of this analysis, assume that he is, and Keichel and Morton as free agents, Joe, how do you see the Astros rotation shaking out uh, beyond Verlander and Cole? And, I mean, obviously this comes with the caveat that it is October the prior season is not even done yet, and we still have all the free agency to go through. But I just want to get your feel, and you know, specifically as to the guys that are currently on the team. I mean, Josh James, Brad Peacock, Colin McHugh. Um, I talked about this on the solo show last week. So, I mean, being that you are closer to the Astros than I am, I was very curious to see your take. Yeah, so I think James definitely gets a shot. Um, and I'm not really sure about Peacock and McHugh. It's a toss-up. I think the biggest take out of all this, pending, you know, they sign two guys probably, um, is that Farce Whitley is probably pretty imminent. Um, he's looked really sharp. And I know he, he, you know, he missed 50 games or whatever it was because of uh, the suspension. But um, he's playing in fall ball, and he's looked really sharp. Um, I don't think there's much left for him to prove, honestly. Um, he's he's really probably ready. Um, so Whitley, Farce Whitley is going to be the guy that like shoots up boards, I think, um, come the spring. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. My my instinct is is that this probably leads to Morton coming back. Um, I could see them paying him either through the qualifying offer or even working out a two-year deal with him. And then you're going to have two spots up for grabs. And I think it'll be one – I think two of those three will take those spots if they don't bring in another pitcher aside from Morton. And whoever the weakest link is is going to get tossed for Whitley right around May 15th or June 1st, I think. Do you know know where Morton – currently resides like lives yeah no i do not okay because 
I don't either. I don't think it's Houston. I don't think it's Texas. Um, I know he's from the Northeast, but I don't know where he is. But I just actually get the sense that I know Houston really probably needs him. But I feel like if he's going to continue to pitch, he's probably going to want to go closer to home, wherever that is. I just have the sneaking feeling. Um, I, I mean, he won already. Um, he's real. He's you know, he, this is like not real fantasy analysis, but he seems like a really humble guy um, that might just really want to be close to his family. I just get that sense. Um, I could be totally off, and Houston could throw a shit ton of money at him, and he's like, well. I'll just pitch for another two years. Who gives a crap? But um, I don't know. It's just something to consider. Well, I mean, on the other side of that, and again, sort of pure speculation. Yeah, this is all speculation. A lot of a lot of times, players like this that have broken out late in their careers are um, grateful for the team that gave them the the opportunity. It really gave them the opportunity to break out. Um, you know, and I, I, I kind of feel that way. Like I, I agree with you. I think Morton is kind of a humble guy. I do get that impression from him. And I also think he's the type of guy that might be gracious to the organization that took the shot on him may take the 17 mil or whatever the hell the qualifying offer is and just decide to pitch for them for a year. Um, given the fact that they gave him the opportunity. Uh, but, you know, I could see it going your way as well, totally, because he was a guy that was contemplating retirement and then came out and said, I'm just going to do another year or so. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch, but I mean, if there are three spots open, then that completely opens up the doors to, you know, not only Whitley, but McHugh and Peacock and James, um, I mean, the pitching depth depth is outstanding. So, I mean, all those guys have, you know, a certain level of interest to them. And I think it's going to be one of the more fascinating storylines to follow from a fantasy perspective. Um, you know, given James's upside, given Whitley's upside, given what McHugh has done in the past, given what we saw Peacock do in uh, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I just pulled up a quote from June this year. Um, this is where the, this, I, I thought he said something like this. So he said, I'm kind of at the end. For me, I don't really want to play much longer. We've got three kids and I want to be around. Hmm. Okay. So, so yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if he's gonna if he's really gonna be like, oh, I want the money. I mean, I think he's gonna get paid no matter where he goes. So, yeah, I mean, he's been so good the last two years. He's gonna get paid. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right. So let's move to the hitters now, and we're gonna kick it off with Ronald Acuna and Christian Yelich. Now these two are put together because Acuna went in the uh, too early Mason mocks at fourteen point eight, and Yelich at sixteen point two. So they are literally back-to-back. So this is pretty simple here. Do you want the stud prospect in year two, or do you want the breakout that we waited years for and that produced the MVP caliber season? Uh, give me the breakout. Uh, give me Elish. Um, there's a couple of reasons. One, um, right now the lineup's still probably better. Um, and two, uh, I know that if I draft Yelich, the floor is like – fourth round talent so um no matter what i'm getting a, a valuable player yeah i've got yelich about five spots in front of acuna but i mean that's sort of a wide pick disparity at that time in the draft but i do want to make it clear that i do view them very close oh me too me too um 
And the answer really, I think, revolves around what you think of Yelich's power. And, you know, I, I did it. I did sort of a deep dive on Yelich. And the home and a fly ball rate sat at 35%. And that was the highest among qualifiers by more than 5% last year. Wow, 35%. That's so, really high. <laughs> so I went back and I looked at the last two years at the highest homer to fly ball rates among qualifiers. And Aaron Judges was in uh, 2017, was 35.6. And Gary Sanchez's in 2016 was 40%. So taking a look at those two, I then looked at their prior, uh, the, the, the year going forward, um, the next year. In 2017, Sanchez was at 25.4, so he had about a 15% decline. And then in 2018, Judge declined from about 35% to about 29%, and Sanchez was at 18.2%. So we've seen decline from players that have had these sort of outlier uh, or, or fantastic. I don't even want to call them outlier because I think judge is probably going to be a guy that's going to float around 30% for his majority of his career. Um, so, but, but these guys that have these league leading levels of corner to fly ball rate, we've seen them decline. Yelich's career average is about 20%. Um, and, and it's apparent that he's going to regress even by just looking at the market, Never mind what judge and, and, and uh, Sanchez did the years before. Um, you know, just based upon where he is relative to everybody else, he's going to decline. So it, it's pretty easy to judge where you think Yelich's home runs are going to end up by home run to fly ball rate because he, he just doesn't hit that many fly balls. Uh, for instance, last year he hit 103. So if nothing changes with respect to the amount of fly balls he hits on a ratio basis, you can probably expect him to hit right around 100 fly balls. So therein, if you're going to give him a 25% homer to fly ball rate, you're looking at about 25 homers. Um, I'm going to place him right around 27, and uh, that's giving him some credit for the power, um, increase the amount of hard contact that he makes. And with that, I mean, I think the 27, 2300 type profile uh, that Yelich can put together, I think I'd rather have that than maybe slightly more power from Acuna and then maybe a little more batting average downside. Um, but I, really, I think it comes down to where you see Yelich's homer to fly ball rate going and how far you see it going down, if you see it going down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's got to go down because, um, like you said, 35% is really for the elite, elite, elite power guys. But I think there's something to be said about Yelich. Just, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier in the season, too, how we were all just waiting for the fly balls to come and then the power would come. But he kind of did it a different route. And I think it's just because he's such an excellent hitter. I said this before that I think he just knew or was just able to cream pitches that he should have. And when he knew he couldn't handle them, he just put him, put him in play and got base hits and doubles instead, you know, and that's why he batted through 26. I mean, there's something, you know, he, he was definitely locked in. This is probably the, the best season he's ever going to have. Um, I mean, he's 26 years old. Uh, you know, that's usually peak, peak performance, right? When you're usually still in, athletically good and you've learned enough from 
from playing the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think 27 home runs sounds good. And at that, I'm with you. I'd, I'd rather have like the three, 310 batting average and 27 home runs than maybe eclipsing 30. And they're both going to have similar steal numbers. So, yeah. So, I mean, so you're, you're kind of on board with my projection on Acuna as well, like sort of a little more power, approximately the same amount of speed and then like a little less batting average. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and also in OPS leagues too, right? Yelich uh, gets a slight, slight nod because he walks a little bit more, a smidge more. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. I, I think that Yelich is. I, I mean, he just has the established track record for it too, you know. So it's yeah. like, um, you know, if you want to project Acuna forward, that's fine. You feel free to do that. It's just, you know, at that time in the draft, you you might want to go a little bit more safety. Than upside, but I mean, I could certainly see the case for Acuna as well. Yeah, um, and I don't know that you're going to go wrong with either one of them. Yep. And and I should just point out, I mean, even for the upside case, Yelich, I believe, was like number three on the ESPN Player Rater last year. So you're not gonna. <laughs> you could say Acuna yeah, has yeah, this kind of upside, but Yelich was literally a top three player last year. So and and if he's done it once, in theory, he can do it again. Okay, so that brings us to Carlos Correa, uh, ADP of 28.1. Correa's season was greatly affected by injury, but even when healthy, he has not been an elite fantasy player to this point. Is the market overrating Correa even at this reduced price? Joe, I I know that you spoke about um, Correa on the Bat Flip Crazy podcast, right? Or was that bench with Bubba? Because I, I know you're on both. I think it was bench with Bubba, yeah. Okay. All right, so let me give you my take, and you can let me know if you if what, what your thoughts are on what I came up sure. with. Sure. Real quick before you go, mm-hmm. um, obviously these ADPs are from um, Justin Mason's Too Early Mocks, um, and we'll provide the link in the yeah. podcast description. Just wanted to get that out there. Yep. So we're now 2,000 plate appearances into Carlos Correa's uh, career. And his average season is 24 homers, nine stolen bases, and a 277 batting average. And that's a really nice player. Like that's a good Xander Bogart season. But it's not a top 10 player, and it's not a top 30 player. Bogarts basically was that player last year, and he finished in the 60s on the ESPN player rater. Um, now, yes, some of that is influenced by what was a terrible year last year and greatly, in, greatly, in, greatly affected by his health. So in 2017, he did not run at all, making that a two-year trend. Um, He was pacing to about 30 homers and a 300 batting average, which is really nice for a shortstop and probably worth the top 30 price that he's going at. But when you consider his injuries, what appears to be an effort by the Astros to downplay the running game a little bit um, and and the last two years, I I think we need to reevaluate the speed and cannot guarantee or project him for more than a handful of steals. So putting 2017 in context, remember that Trevor Story and Francisco Lindor both hit 30-plus homers for a good average and stole 20-plus bags on good offenses this season and finished 11th and 12th or 9th and 10th on the player rater if you take out relief pitchers, which you should do. Um, So if Correa is those players without the speed, 
where do you think he falls? I mean, he's like a, he's like 25 or 30 right there. And so you start to see the problem. The position has gotten better, and if Correa's not going to run, he's really uh, an Anthony Rendon, Daniel Murphy type of talent, which is, which is nonetheless a good player and potentially a top 30 player, but you're really drafting him at the ceiling at that point, no? Uh, yes. So um, it's hard to argue, right? So when we talked offline, right, um, I think his uh, – I, what I said to you was I think his true talent is upside is probably like 310 um, low to mid-30s home runs and easily 100-plus RBIs and runs each, right? Um, so that's definitely going to be with very little speed. Um, I had mentioned this earlier this year that I thought this was going to happen. I pretty much nailed this one. Um, that Houston was going to stop running um, collectively. So that makes him pretty much like a poor man's Manny Machado. Um, And for reference, Machado was 21 on the player Raider this year. So originally coming into this discussion, I said to you, Pat, oh, I don't know about that. But the argument I bet you you can make is that 310, 33, 100, 100 isn't actually worth 28. And I think you do have a point there. Um, I don't know how much further down that actually is. It's probably close to the neighborhood, um, but I can, I can, I can buy the argument um, that that line shouldn't be 28th overall. It's probably again, it's probably pretty close. Uh, but yeah, you're 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 probably paying for upside. Okay. All right. Let's then, take it to go ahead. No, and and. I was just going to say that hurts me to say because I, I do think he's really talented. Oh, yeah. No, I, I and I don't want to poo-poo the talent at all because I do think he's a very talented player. It's just on the one hand, the position has changed. On the other hand, offense generally has changed. And and we've seen a lot of talented players sort of come up and, and break out in recent years. And it's really kind of – push Correa down the board um, because because of what the upside is at this point. If you're taking away the steals, it's just the profile isn't good enough combined with the injury risk to push him any higher than that, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, the, the having the, the near zero in steals, yeah, he's a killer. I mean, last year, last year, right, the injury was kind of fluky, right? It was just a broken wrist. Can happen to anyone. Uh, this year was more serious. The back injury is definitely a more serious injury. So, yeah. Yep. Okay, let's move to Juan Soto at 30.2. 19-year-old had a remarkable rookie year, but you have to pay up and hope for at least a full season repeat of 2007, uh, 2018 to break even. Correct? Yeah. So at first glance, uh, like I didn't do a terribly deep dive, but um, the thing that stood out is Soto absolutely destroyed fastballs. So he led the league in normalized fastball weighted runs created, right? So that means he's pretty much the best player against fastballs. That means he's really good against fastballs. Yeah. <laughs> so he was better than Betts, Trout, and J.D. Martinez, just to name a few. Um, the batting average against fastballs was 350, while the – expected batting average is only 319. So he's going to be due for some batted ball regression, 
even as advanced of a hitter as he is, unless if you think he's the best fastball hitter in baseball already, um, which I kind of find it hard to believe. I know he's very talented, but I just can't believe he's better than Trout, JD, and Betts already. Um, he rated negatively against sliders too, so I do wonder if pitchers end up trying to make some, any adjustments heading into next year. Um, he's definitely a guy that has 300-plus upside and 30 home run pop. Um, and the talent, the back control, and the eye are all there. But at 30, it's sort of like the same thing with Correa. You're pretty much banking on him pacing out for what he did, and you're you're paying for upside or paying for peak. Yeah, I think so. At least current peak. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. down the down the road, there is certainly room for him to him to get better. Um, you know, eye test wise, as you said, he passes. He's advanced. He has feel for the strike zone. The bat-to-ball skills are impressive. Uh, and he has undeniable power. And he's got that rare power and average combo that I like so much. Um, plus, he ran a little bit down the stretch. So maybe he, he can find his way into high single-digit or double-digit steals next year to help the profile even more. Um, you know, I, I'm not 100% on that because he doesn't really have any history of running in the minors. But – you know, he, he, he did sort of um, show a willingness to down the stretch. And the willingness to is a big part of, um, you know, being able to steal bases. And if he's successful at it, the Nats aren't going to hold him back. Um, you know, non-eye test, the numbers, you know, 1.87 ground ball to fly ball rate. You're going to need a strong homer to fly ball rate, uh, which sort of has and is capable of repeating. Of course, the focus shifts to if he can raise the launch angle and hit a few more fly balls, he could be a 35 to 40 homer bat with good batting average, which is really what you would like to see. Um, the other thing I see is a surprising amount of soft contact at 20.3% and lower than expected hard contact at 34.8% and a relatively low, low line drive rate at 17.5%. Now, this batted ball data was a little bit of a red flag for me because it sort of reminded me of what Rafael Devers did in his call-up with Boston a couple of years ago. Now, Soto doesn't have the same issues that Devers does with patience and, and discipline, mm -hmm. but the batted ball data signals to me that there might be some regression in the batting average coming. Um, a lot of that soft contact comes on grounders. And he has the pull oppo, the, the pull grounders, oppo fly balls profile. I'm not terribly concerned about that because I've seen Soto play. I, I can see that he's got the power to hit him out opposite field. But it is something that, you know, you should keep your eyes on when it comes to other players when you're trying to project them for power. And I just wanted to bring it up here to let you know we've I've looked at it. And not only have I looked at it, but I, I've, I've in my mind, I've determined that Soto is a player that can overcome that. Um, and it makes him even more attractive because if he does start to pull the ball more, again, it might it might be another way for him to tick up that homer to fly ball rate and get two more homers. Um, I don't think the price is completely out of the hand, like Joe said, but uh, I have him around 40th overall in my early rankings, uh, which are highly flexible at this point and fluid. But I don't know that I'm going to be able to get him as high as this ADP is. And I do not suspect that he's going to get cheaper as we get closer to the, uh, you know, the peak of draft season. 
Yeah, his low pick was 36. I have a question for you. Would you rather have, uh, and obviously, I'm not holding you to this right now, but would you, right now, do you think you'd rather have Soto or Chris Davis? Oh, man. Um, That's close, right? Yeah. I think I'd rather have Soto, but it's really, really close. And it, it, it might be the big cop-out answer of who are my other yeah, no, two, no, three fair. picks. That's fair, right, because Soto has the, the batting average upside, and Chris Davis is just 40 home runs. Lock it up. Yeah, so, I mean, if I've if I've got Stanton already, yeah, or I've got Judge yeah. already, then I'm taking Soto. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Okay. Thanks for letting me uh, go to the cop-out there. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, all right, so Anthony Rizzo, 36.7. Uh, this was really the first player that kind of made me stop in my tracks. What do you make of Rizzo at a potential three, four turn price? Yeah. I mean, I don't know why we're giving. So my boy Correa, I don't know why we're giving him a break, but we're not giving Rizzo a break. I mean, he was like basically in a, in a hospital bed for the first, first four weeks of baseball with his back injury. So it's like no surprise that he was a little bit short on home runs. I mean, aside from that, he was like business as usual. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I saw some some conversation on Twitter that you know the days of Anthony Rizzo hitting thirty homers are gone. I, I don't know that that's true. I I love this price. Rizzo's got a very advanced approach. He walks more than he strikes out. He can also chip in a few steals. So like. You're looking at like a 280, 290 hitter with five to ten steals, and th- and then you move to the question, which is the pop, which I'm not really sure where it comes from. Um, th- the claim was that the decreasing fly ball percentage might be a sign that he would not hit for 30 homer pop, um, considering the consistency in his homer to fly ball rate, which is largely unchanged over the course of his career. It fluctuates within you know a, a one to two percent range. Um, on either side, but it, it hasn't really shifted much. But what's lost there is that the variance in the fly ball percentage is within the realm of variance. It, it's not such a severe, distinct drop that I think it changes Rizzo's outlook entirely, especially considering the ground ball rate went down too, and the difference was made up in the line drive rate. So the amount that he's putting the ball in the air is the same. It's just the type of air balls that he's hitting. So the ball was in the air 62% of the time this year, which is actually more than 2016 and 2017 when he hit over 30 homes. Yeah, I, I don't know. How short are our memories, man? Like, yeah, I, I, just, like a year ago. Yeah. And he was hurt at the beginning of the year. Yeah, well, just, it was just another point. I mean, a lot of the power struggle – was front-loaded. He hit 13 bombs in the second half. The yeah. fly, ball, fly ball rate was back up. The hard contact rate was back up. The home run fly ball rate was back up in the second half. So I'm a big-time buyer on Rizzo. I mean, I think the lineup is going to be better with with him healthy, with Chris Bryan, Bryan healthy. Yeah. They might add a piece. Uh, you know, if they add Harper to this lineup, if they're players for him, like, it, it's, it's going to be a ridiculous lineup. He's the 27th player on my board. So I've got him like almost a full round ahead of this ADP right now. Yeah. And, you know, 
Bryant's another one that I I just freaking love. I mean, what's his ADP? It's uh, ooh, it's it got. I think it got a little bit higher than last time I checked. He's actually twenty six. Yeah, he. I was gonna say he's about a round in front of Rizzo, which makes even less sense. I mean, to be fair though, right? To be fair, I still really love Chris Bryant at twenty six. I mean, this he Chris Bryant's a guy that we were taking at like twelve at one point. Yeah, we were, we were, and and that's kind of the point with these two. Is that, and this is where I think they differentiate from Correa a bit, because we've seen what these guys are capable of doing over the course of a full season. We've seen them, you know, at peak or close to peak. I don't think we've really seen that from Correa over the course of a full season yet. Yeah, to be fair, though, um, in Brian's case, I think like Brian's line, Brian and Correa can have very, very, very similar lines. Like, I can both see them being, like, 295, 300, 31, 8. You can see that from Rizzo, too. That's within yeah. the realm of outcomes for Rizzo as well. Yeah, although probably not the batting average. It's probably yeah, the batting average is probably a little but bit. Still, yeah. But still, yeah, for a full round later, I mean, gimme, gimme. Yeah, absolutely. All right, speaking of gimme, gimme, Joey Votto, 45.9. Coming off a very unproductive year, Votto has plummeted down boards. Should he? Why or why not? Joe, do you want me to take this one first? Uh, the only thing I want to say is I'm not sure yet. Um, so I got to watch him a lot, but I didn't actually really dig into the stats because I was watching so much. And I've said this already, so I'll just repeat it one more time, that he definitely was clearly choking up more. I'm not sure if he'll continue to do that. I think if he does, he's probably more of the player he's been he was this year if he lets it loose a little bit more and is a little bit more comfortable the batting average might drop a little bit but i think the power will come back so i mean in my opinion i took vado right around this price in the too early mock that i was in and i was thrilled with it um, he was certainly dealing with a few injuries back issues knee problems um Votto hit for the lowest power total in his career just 12 homers that's one third of his 2017 total um, you know, as Joe pointed out, there was, it, it wasn't just injuries. There were some mechanical issues with the swing. He was trying to choke up more, um, to account for what he believed was a possible loss of bat speed. Uh, he made an adjustment towards the end of the year in September, he adjusted and the, uh, OPS reached 846 after 773 and 672 in July and August. And he hit three homers post-adjustment, and that happened. The report that he made the adjustment came in mid-September. So you're talking about a two-week stretch of baseball. He hit three homers. It's a minute sample. So it's, it's a nice sign, but it's not indicative that it's going to carry through and he's going to you know, return to 30 homer Joey Votto. But still, it's a nice sign that you know, he did something to address the issue and started to see results. So, I mean, I understand why Votto would fall down the boards, especially with this type of year. And, you know, as I said with Correa, how many guys rose up? But I love what Votto brings to the table. Plate discipline, batting average, run production. And I think the power is going to get back to, like, a, at least a 25 homer level. The homer to fly ball percentage was at 9.5%. That's a little better than half his career rate. Hard contact was not the issue. He had a career high high, 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 a career high hard contact rate. 
So he's still hitting the ball hard, still lots of line drives. He had no shift towards grounders. The only number off is the homer to fly ball rate. And the offense he's in is a good one. Um, they held on to Scooter Jeanette. They extended Suarez. Peraza started to break out. Shebler's a good piece. Uh, Jesse Winker should be back at the start of next year. I, 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 I have him as the 34th player on my board. And my thinking there is, even if there is something that he's done with his swing, um, you know, even if he decides he has to choke up again, I do not see the 12 homer level as uh, sustainable. I, I still think he would get to 20 homers regardless based upon his prior track record in terms of homer to fly ball rate. I, I, I think that 9% is an anomaly um, and perhaps it has to do with both the choking up and the injuries. Fado is too good of a hitter to know that he can't live as a 12 homer bat. So he, I, I think he will figure it out. I, I think he will come into next year healthy and I think he will come into next year motivated. Um, and I am totally buying him. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm doing some more digging here. So in 2015, 2016 and 2017, uh, his largest, his largest launch angle um, percentage for 15 was 30 degrees. So most often he hit the ball 30 to 35 degrees. That's what, that's what this means. In 2016, it was between 35 and 40 degrees. 2017, it was between 30 and 35 degrees. And then this year it was uh, pretty much 15 to 25 degrees. Um, so there's definitely a mechanical change that happened. Um, and, you know, 15 degrees doesn't hit you, hit your home runs, right? It's like 25 to 35 ish, mm -hmm. sometimes a little bit more. So there's definitely a change. Um, I can, I can see, I can see fantasy players going both ways. I can see you being out on him. Um, and I can see you being in on him. Um, at this point, I going to plead the fifth and I'm not sure yet. I'm copping out as a fantasy analyst. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you let me cop out once, so I'll let you cop out there. But just on the point of even the launch angle, even at 15 to 25 degrees, it's still not such a, a poor launch angle that 12 homers is, is the outcome that I would expect. Well, so that's not average, right? That's the that's how that's, that's where the most, the ball the most. Yeah. yeah, right. So those are probably line drives. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying though is even even with a concentration of his batted balls at that launch angle, mm -hmm. I still think that it's not it's it's not like a ground ball, you know. Like I I think it's still within the realm of 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 like a twenty ish home run hitter as opposed to a 12 home run hitter. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's why his line drive rate so high because all those balls were line drives. Yeah, that, that's certainly possible. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's what I'm saying, right? Like I, I just don't know I, I, the th the, the reason I, I'll probably end up giving him the benefit of the doubt is because he's so good. And I so, would say he's Joey Votto like, and he's the man. I know, <laughs> I know that if he wants to make the adjustments, he will. So that's why I'd be comfortable banking on him. If this was someone else, 
um, I'd probably be a bit more worried. Well, that and the price isn't so high that it's really an issue. You know, I mean, this is a end of the fourth round, top of the fifth round type price. And, you know, you don't want to draft a bust there. Sure. But it's also not a price where you can't recover. I mean, you can recover at any price. So, I mean, maybe my point is, is not a great one. But my, po- my point is, is that he's not costing you a first-round pick. And so you can bank in a little more risk. Um, you know, and, and if he's going at the end of four, I mean, you're, you're the team that's looking at having one of the top three players already stocked in your lineup. So, I mean, you're looking at a team that's got um, Mike Trout, Wookie Betts, Jose Ramirez already in house. So you've got a bankable stud at that point. So looking at it team construction wise, I really do not mind taking the shot that Joey Votto returns to like a 25, 30 homer, 300, 310 type monster. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Gary Sanchez, 68.6. Discounted from a year ago after a sub 200 batting average season. You were probably expecting a little bit more of a discount. What do you think of this price on Sanchez? He is the number one catcher. Uh, when Real Muto's ADP is eighty-five, I kind of like that better. Um, I understand that Sanchez is still when Gary Sanchez esque is far and away the best catcher. He's got the highest upside still of any catcher. And you have to imagine that the injuries played a role in how poorly he performed. Plus just extremely bad luck. I mean, he batted under 200 for most of the season. Um, he's, you know, we've discussed this a lot. He still hits the cover of the ball. He's definitely still strong. Um, there might be something to be said that uh, a lot of talks in New York about his, um, his defense might've affected him. I know that's like a soft, soft analyst approach, um, but it's possible um, that it got into his head a little bit, how, you know, the media was really on him for being such a poor defender for a lot of the year. Um, so, yeah, I think with Real Muto's ADP at 85, you know, that's what, 12, seven, almost almost two rounds of value. kind of like that a little bit better, but I can't fault you for wanting to grab the best catcher. If you were drafting today, which one would be your number one catcher? Oh, I, I'd actually, I think I'd rather have Real Muto. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was a little surprised that he was the number one catcher on the board. Oh, actually, uh, you know what? I'm sorry. I didn't realize Real Muto's speed dried up. I thought he still had like nine or so steals last year. Okay. that That's a huge difference. Um, I'd rather have Sanchez then. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I'm in the same spot. I would rather have Sanchez as well. I was a little surprised. Uh, upon an initial look that um, Real Muto wasn't going in front of him, but it was sort of for the same reason that, that you just said. I kind of had this vision of Real Muto's season in my head, and it wasn't as 
great as I thought it was. Yeah. Taking nothing away from him. I mean, you know, 20 homers, 277, whatever it was, it was a very good season for a catcher, especially in today's league where Gary had such a down year and the position was just terrible. Uh, Real Muda was like the only guy you could own and actually bank some production from, even on a terrible lineup. But, I mean, with Sanchez, the combination of upside and just sheer regression to the mean um, that's coming his way, he dealt with injuries, the inconsistencies behind the plate, um, certainly played a factor, and just historic bad luck. A 197 Babbitt is the second lowest Babbitt of the last five years for players with 350-plus plate appearances. And it's the third lowest of the last 10 years. Wow. Even with that figure included in his numbers, Sanchez's career Babbitt still sits at 272. So even with this season of awfulness, this 197 bringing that down, he's still a career 272 guy in terms of Babbitt. The batted ball profile definitely has some red flags. The line drive rate was low. The pop-ups were high. Hard contact was down. But I think a lot of that has to do with injuries. Um, There were times this year when Sanchez looked like he couldn't get out of the hole. But to me, it was a human element. He was trying to improve his year with each at-bat and each swing. Uh, He was very simply putting it, Sanchez was pressing. The stat cast also supports this being fluky. He was 21st in barrels per, per plate appearance, 18th in barrels per batted ball event, second in max exit velocity, and fifth in fly ball to end line drive velocity. The concerns are clear. We've seen a really bad floor. But when a player struggles like this, you have to wonder, and, and when he struggles like this, you have to wonder what sort of leash there is for him, especially given the fact that there are concerns about his defense. And that lineup is so good that, you know, they really don't need his bat. Um, so it, it's – and then you've got the effort issue as well, running out ground balls. Things like that don't give a player like this a long leash. Um, so that is a concern as well. He could be, you know, a zero floor guy. There's also, I think, a possibility that he gets traded yeah. possibly for an arm. Yeah. Um. I'm still a buyer, though. I think he's still a difference maker, a 30 homer, 265, 275 type hitter. Um, I think this year was a perfect storm or, or an imperfect storm. I, I'm on board with the ADP, but I'm not going to go much higher than this. If you know he's hitting the cover off the ball in spring and he starts to rise and starts getting into the 50s, I'm out. But right around 65, 70, uh, I'm still in. Yeah, do you think Real Muto is so high because everyone else thought that he stole bases too? I don't think that he's high. I think he's properly priced. Okay. I mean, I just thought – I really thought he had like eight or nine steals and like a like a 285 batting average. I guess I just didn't glance. Yeah, I thought I, – when I had his profile in my mind without looking at his actual line, I had him for like – 25 homers, 10 steals, yeah. and like a 280 batting average. Yeah, and he too. fell short of every one of those numbers. So, yeah, and you know, like if that was the line, then I'd 100% rather have Ramudo at 85 than Sanchez. Yes. Yes, I agree with that. But like you said, the steals dried up. The power sort of 
was it was definitely streaky because it wasn't it wasn't as consistent as I thought it was. You know, I know he had surges through the year, which again is part of the reason why you think a player might hit more homers than they did because you're sort you're sort of not accounting for um, the down periods. You know, yeah. you're, you're you're seeing these outbreaks and then you're giving them baseline when you're not looking at them very closely because I didn't own any Real Muto shares last year. So yeah, me neither. So me that's neither. part of it. But yeah, once I took a look at it, I said, "All right, so yeah, the market's probably at least right in my opinion." I had Sanchez one, Real Muto two, and um, you know, I understood why the market was a little lower on. Real Muto compared to Sanchez, compared to Sanchez. Yeah. But Sanchez is going to be one of those guys that's going to be polarizing. I think you're either going to be in or you're going to be out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is uh does your does your uh take on Real Muto change at all if let's say he ends up in Houston? Yeah, I I think that would push him closer. I think that closer. would push him closer to Sanchez. I don't know that it would push him over it. I'd have to do a deeper dive. I definitely want to see the park overlay. Hmm. Because hmm. it's gotta help. Yeah, it's definitely gotta help because Miami's a nightmare. Yeah, I mean the center, the center Houston's no joke either. But yeah, it's gotta help at the end of the day. And yeah. I mean, just from a run production perspective. Yeah, it's gotta move him up. Although he'll be, he will be further down a lineup. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. That's a tough. It might, one. it might be like moot, you know. Yeah, I, I was about to say. I was gonna say, you know, it's almost better being the seven hitter in Houston, but a lot of our, a lot of run production comes from just slot, being a spot, not from yeah. not from the actual team you're on. Yeah. So yeah, that might be that might be a moot point. Um, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting to see what happens with Rio Muto if he ends up in an approved location, approved ballpark, how close they get. Okay, Jose Abreu, seventy point one. This was his least productive professional season, but things are starting to look up around the White Sox with a lot of young guns coming in. Do you think Abreu bounces back in 2019? Yeah, very quick glance, um, and by very quick, I mean like just now. <laughs> I didn't do a lot of prep for this. Um, uh, there aren't really too many red flags. Uh, the home to fly ball rate was like right in line with career average. Um, he just got hurt at the end there, um, so he wasn't able to compile. Um, the, the discipline, you know, wasn't wildly outlandish. Um, the chase rate went up a little bit. The, uh, the, um, Z contact went down a smidge, but it's not like anything crazy. Um, so from what, from what the quick glance, it doesn't look like there's any huge red flags. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that this season was sort of a bad luck year. Combined with the injuries, um, you know, it's the first time he fell short of 290, 25 homers, 100 RBIs. Um, he had some injuries. He also had an, a weird infection issue at the end of the year. Um, and if he hadn't missed the time and put together a really good month, um, he might have hit his normal thresholds um, that he normally hits, especially because he's a guy that historically has closed the year pretty well. Um, there's nothing really out of place. Plate discipline looks roughly the same. Bad ball mix too. Pop ups might have been a smidge high. Yeah, but a lot of this is Babbitt. Um, it's not Gary Sanchez level bad. He was two ninety four, but he had an ex Babbitt of three thirty eight, which tells you there was some bad luck involved. 
Do you know what his expected batting average was? I don't know what his expected batting average was. Right, but... I'm going to look it up while you continue talking. Okay. All right. And the White Sox should continue to improve. I mean, Moncada's there um, going into what I believe is his second full season. Got Eloy coming up. Tim Anderson made some strides. Daniel Polka showed that he could hit, you know, for some power. Um, they may bring in a, a, another batter too. So I, I think that. Oh yeah. With the, what was the expected batting average? Two eighty-two barrels right in line with his career. Nine point one percent. His yeah. His, that's actually his career average. So. All right. So I think we're noticing a pattern here, right? So maybe we should stop talking about Abreu and just talk about the larger picture here. We've talked about Rizzo, we've talked about Vado, and we've talked about Abreu. And we were consensus Rizzo is underpriced. Yeah. After a down year. Uh, I was adamant that Vado is underpriced. You're on the fence. And now I think we're both going to agree that Abreu is probably underpriced. Yeah. So. Old guys. Well, it's, it's not even that. They're it's not just, even old, though. Is it is it down year? Is the down year at first base, like, just an aberration? Yeah. All, all these guys are first basemen. Yeah, actually, yeah. You know, you're right. I didn't really, even really realize that. But, yeah, I mean, I knew first base was bad. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's really no reason why. There, there aren't huge red flags. Aside from... Votto, who I'm on the fence about. I mean, Rizzo's money, freaking Abreu's going to be okay. They're, they're yeah, both I mean, going to be okay. Yeah, there's no reason Abreu shouldn't hit 290 with somewhere between 25 to 30 homers, provided full health. Yeah, yeah. And, and once Eloy gets in, it'll help out the runs and RBIs. Yeah. And, you know, and then, like I said, there you know, there's potential for growth from a player like uh, Moncada. You know, he can improve. Anderson's already taken the step. Um, you know, even a minor piece like Wellington Castillo got suspended for like 80 games. Now, I'm not going to pretend that Wellington Castillo is this amazing player, but he's certainly better than the catcher that they were rolling out there. So, I mean, the pieces around him are going to be a little better next year. His health gets a little better, and his luck gets a little better, and boom, you have the Jose Abreu you were taking in round three now in round six. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, especially considering, like, Cody Bellinger's at 41. I mean, I know he, he chucks in, like, 15, 10 or 15 steals. Um, but I don't know if he's, like, remarkably better than Jose Abreu is, like, when it's going to be all said and done. Well, I think Bellinger gets the, the young player – Still gets the shiny new toy. I think of, I think um, that's actually the take here, right? Because um, we had Acuna go high, we had Soto go high. Um, I, I think like there might be something to that more than more than it's necessarily just first baseman, you know? Right, like Rizzo and Abreu and Bryant and Vado. They're all yeah, but, boring. but even even with Rizzo and Bryant, I mean, they're not. No, I know they're not. They're not people, ancient, <laughs> but they're not shiny. Yeah, yeah, they've been around long enough that now what they do is no longer exciting, even though it's I exciting. Mean, all right, like there's there's a good discussion, right? Because I'm a big big Mookie Betts fan, right? But there's still discussion about Moots versus. Tri 
Mookie Moots, Betts versus, <laughs> versus Trout. And it's like, I mean, are we, are we just like overthinking this? I mean, Mike Trout's still. Oh, the yeah. Best, I, I, you know? I'm totally in that camp. I mean, <laughs> I, I I had the number one pick in that too early mock, and literally three seconds went off the clock before I took Trout. And, you know, it, it's so funny because it's just like, yeah, we do overthink this crap. Like, Mike Trout has been a top like five player every single year he's been in the league. All we have to do is go back one season for Mookie Betts to not be even in that conversation. He had 39 home runs last year and stole 24 bags. It's free. It's so yeah. yeah, So it's like, that's the point, right? I, I, I think there's a little bit of that going on. Fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we've got some, we've got some player fatigue. Definitely. And then it's player fatigue combined with off year. Yeah, yes, yes. It's not just player fatigue. Yeah. All right, a player that there definitely is no player fatigue on, Alberto Mondesi. Oh, my God. Who everyone is talking about. Um, Mondesi finished the year strong, and the market is definitely buying with an ADP of 73.7. We know the upside is really high with the steals, but what do you think about his floor? Uh, it's like 210 and back in the minors. <laughs> yes. Exactly, which is which is something I think that everybody is missing when it comes to Mondesi. Like all I've heard is, "Oh, well, his floor is not that bad because he runs." Well, what happens if it's the middle of May and he's hitting like 190 and the Royals send him down, which they're kind of motivated to do because that'll stop his service time clock. So not only will they like preserve his confidence in theory. According to you know the old baseball adage, oh, he's struggling. He he needs to go down to AAA for a few weeks oh, to, to work some things out. <laughs> well, not only not only do they accomplish that, but they can do what the Twins just did with Byron Buxton, another guy who historically finished the year years in September and August as hot as hell when the pitching quality went to crap, and who struck out too much. And I'm not going to make this about Byron Buxton, but it's to me. But but what happened to Buxton is very is is a cautionary tale for Alberto Manzi because the Royals might not be motivated to keep him up if they're struggling, and then they might not be motivated to bring him back down to bring him back up at the end of the year when they have. When they're gonna lose a hundred games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly possible. It's it's like completely possible. Um, the the real beef I have is just him being inside the top one hundred with such a low floor. Um, so like I, I started to look. I you know I again I talked to you offline. I started to watch the tape on him. So first of all, right, he had to earn his keep up to the top of the lineup. As like as late as early September, he was still batting in the bottom of the lineup. Um, Joe, so, what? Joe, this is the Royals we're talking about. I would hit five in that lineup. Yeah, but he didn't. <laughs> but he didn't. I mean, what do you want me to say? He didn't. No, but there's no... But, who did he have to beat out? Oh, my God. I know, but he was... I'm like, I agree with you, but it's possible. Like, if he's batting that 190, he's going to get shifted at the bottom. So that's the first thing. The second thing, I, I, like, I really noticed is that he is definitely a good bad ball hitter um and he's got a lot of power 
He can hit from the both sides of the plate, which is really good to see. He can hit balls out from both sides of the plate, which is good to see. The problem is, is that he's swinging at bad pitches, which is going to end up hurting him. Um, he's got a lot of bias in him. Javier Baez. I was about to him, say, unless right? he's Javier Baez, in which case. Yeah, and I think there. I in think case, in which case, we are. Stupid. No, 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 no. I, I don't know about stupid, but I think I think he's got that in him. So I don't actually think that he's gonna be as. Uh, I don't think he'll bat two ten. Like I don't think that'll actually happen. But since it's since it's like well within the realm of possibility, that's why I can't imagine taking him within the top one hundred because the player like Javier Baez last year we were taking at like one forty. So there's no reason for me to believe that we should take Mondesi so high. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree, obviously, based upon the fact that he's got that zero floor. And the the profile is subject to such volatility because of the swing and miss, because of the low walk rate, that, you know, it's not even, oh, well, you know, you're, you're talking – worst case 1% scenario. No, like like when he's swinging and missing at an 18% clip, if he, when he's striking out at a 26% clip and he's only walking 3% of the time, it, it, all it takes is just, you know, a little bit of a confidence issue, a little bit of, of tinkering, some bad, bad of ball luck, and then boom, like I said, it's May 15th and you're hitting 190 and then you're in the minors. So I mean I agree with you, Joe, and I, and I do agree with you about your point about the about the AEP. You know, like it's not it's not that I don't see the upside, and that I don't that I'm not intrigued by the possibility that he's you know some sort of freak where he's going to go 20 homers, 45 steals, you know, 265 or whatever. It's it's certainly within the realm of possibility as well, but. You know, I would feel much better about it if it was post pick one hundred. You know what though? Oh man, as I look at this, I, I'm like, I every time, every time I say like, you know, it's the floors are low. I kind of work myself back in. I mean, first it was by watching him, right? I kind of worked myself back in. Um, it was really, really good to see all that pop. And now I'm looking at Javier Baez. His career expected batting average is two thirty nine. Um, and Mondesi's is. 242 so like they are exactly the same and i think i i think the projections or or the expected batting average has a tough time handling it because they both just chase so much um yeah but i don't know i to me like I don't think that you can give him the same sort oh, I'm of. So, I'm sorry, it's actually a, a lot lower than that. His expected batting average is 217, but last year was 242. Okay, sorry about that. And 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 I don't think that we can give him the same profile as Baez because Baez was a player that always came with pat with power pedigree, and Mondesi was really supposed to be a rabbit up until this year. Oh, I don't know about that. He had, he had like the pop speed profile a little bit going on. 
I mean, I don't know about 14 home runs and 291 plate appearances. I think he probably settles in at like 15 to 20 next year. Yeah, but Baez is, is like a 25, yeah, 30 yeah. homer guy. Yeah, no, yeah I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And that's what Baez was always supposed to be. The sure. issue was whether or not Baez was going to hit 200 or something else better than 200. <laughs> and yeah. he turned out to be a lot better than that. Yeah, I mean, if I had to, if I if I had a gun to my head right now, I'd probably say Montesi ends up with like, again, like fifteen home runs, something like forty-two steals, and like a, you're gonna give him the Jonathan VR stat line, and yeah, and like a two sixty-eight batting average. Yeah, see, and I that comes him. with like that comes with like high highs and low lows. Yeah, see, I, I, I'm going to give him the Jonathan VR line, which is about 15 homers, about 40 steals, and a 255 batting average. 255. Which is yeah, yeah. a really, really nice player. Yeah, we're close. But yeah, it's not well, top 100. Well, it, it probably is. Actually, yeah. But, but the floor is so significant that I have a hard time getting him inside the top 100. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, again, I just don't feel comfortable with, with such volatility. I just don't feel comfortable taking him within the top 100. Yeah. Okay. Let's move it to another guy that is known for stealing bases. D Gordon, 75.1 ADP. D struggled, but, and he didn't run as much as expected. And lost his spot at the top of the lineup. Gordon's going to retain second base and add shortstop in five-game starter formats. That's a bonus, considering the fact that we thought he was going to lose it. So what are your thoughts on Gordon? Okay, so um, I got to watch him a bit, too. Um, so I'm pretty much out. I'm always out on D Gordon, but I'm I'm even more out, right? So he was the least efficient in his career at 71% stol- stolen bases. That is, it's still good, uh, but it's worth noting as he begins to enter his early 30s. Um, so I tried to do this with Trey Turner earlier in the year, and I found out that Baseball Reference calculates it for me. So Baseball Reference has a statistic called stolen base opportunities, um, and essentially it's times when a runner is on first or second base without a runner in front of him. Um, so if you take stolen base attempts divided by your stolen base opportunities, you get what I'm calling right now an effective stolen base attempt rate, right? So this pretty much removes how often you're on base and is pretty much just um, just going to be an indicator of how often you're stealing bases when given the opportunity, right? Because stolen bases per plate appearance really dependent on on-base percentage, right? If you have 600 plate appearances, but your your on-base percentage is zero, but you can't steal a base, right? This is a little bit well, different. I just, I just want to point out one thing. Yeah. The only issue with this metric is that it will not account for times when players were running and the ball was put into play. Uh, sure. That's true. Okay. Or, you know, not put into play, ball was fouled off. Swung yeah. it and fouled off, and the player had to go back to first. Yeah, well, so I don't think it, it doesn't take. It's not uh, a pitch. It's not a pitch rate, right? It's just you're on you're on first. Uh, there's no one. There's no one in front of you. If the if the next pitch 
is put into play, well, yeah, you take a zero for that. So it's not yeah. perfect. Um, but I think it's it's a better indicator of how often someone's stealing versus plate appearances. This is, again, this is just another statistic and it's independent of on-base percentage. So anyway. Yeah, so no, I think that, I just want to add, I, I wasn't trying to downplay your metric. I was, yeah, yeah, no, no. To, I was just trying to point out because when you say stolen base attempts, the player in theory is attempting a steal, but it's just simply interrupted by a foul, by, by the ball being hit foul or the ball being hit in play. So I, I just wanted to make clear that this is the actual act of stealing yeah, a base yeah. and not being interrupted by some other interceding event. Correct. Okay. So uh, for his career, excluding this past year, D sat at 30.8%. Um, this past year, he was down to 21.1%. So he essentially tried to steal bases nine percentage points less often than previously. Um, that's more more or less a third less often, um, which is a fairly significant amount when you're talking about a player whose sole value is stolen bases. Um, so again, uh, I'm really out. Uh, his playing time is wishy-washy um, because there's a lot of guys in in uh, Seattle that they, they move around. Um, yeah, I just don't want him this high. I never want him this high. Yeah, I I'm with you on that. He's sort of been in every other year type of player in terms of his batting average, um, which is sort of misleading, um, because I feel like the market always viewed him as the safe batting average guy. But over the last four years, he's either hit 300 plus or right around 260. Um, on alternating years, and that's typical for the whims of Babbitt. Um, his sprint score declined from elite territory from top 20 to simply a, a, a plus range uh, of top 50. So he moved from, you know, top end to simply very good. Um, and, you know, that could be blamed on a variety of injuries. He had toe, ankle, hip. Um, that all could have had an effect there. Um, he had some struggles on the base paths. Um, so to me, the negative is that Gordon's 30 and he's beginning to slow down according to the speed score. And if that's the case, he's going to need to hit 300 to have value because he needs to hit near the top of the lineup to support the value. And I, I don't know that Seattle intends to return to the top of the lineup. Uh, and if he's the nine hitter, that's basically going to turn him into a two category asset at best. And therein lies the issue with Gordon's price. There's significant downside and legitimately three category upside is his best case. And to take Gordon, I'm passing on players like Tommy Pham, Scooter Jeanette, Eddie Rosario, who contribute, of course, more categories or significant upside in players like Josh Donaldson and Nelson Cruz. Um, and there are also cheaper alternatives available. Jose Peraza, Malik Smith, Jonathan VR, all going afterwards, all can steal bases. So, to me, I'm, I, I just think that Gordon, once again, is just too expensive. And in honesty, where is the accounting for D. Gordon's floor? I mean, and for his down year and for his age relative to, you know, the Rizzos, the Vados, the Abreus of the world. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're, we're like the, always the biggest D. Gordon haters. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, it's not even just Steve Gordon. It's just uh, I, I, I don't grasp. I, I, I just in total don't grasp the obsession with stolen bases. Sure. So uh, I just want to add to the stolen bases too. Um, we talked about Monacy and we talked about VR. So um, VR's, uh, again, I'm calling it a, an effective stolen base attempt rate. So VR's effective stolen base attempt rate last year. ESAR. 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 So VR's ESAR was 24.8. But damn, this works. Twenty four point eight percent, which was good for sixth in the league. Uh, D Gordon, like I said, was twenty one point one percent, and Mondesi was forty seven point six percent. So the next highest was Gerard Dyson at twenty seven point one percent. So uh, there's pretty much no way that Mondesi is going to continue stealing as much as he did, as often as he did. And VR's was full season, right? Yep. Yeah, every, everyone there was full season. Okay. okay. So, like, uh, so to give you to give you a sense of um, like what we're talking about, three standard deviations above the mean is twenty four point six percent. So those are like your elite base runners are going to be at at or around like twenty twenty five to thirty percent. Um, so to be forty seven point six percent is like way way too high. Yeah. That's like that's the that's basically the same point I made about Yelich's home run the flat ball rate without all the fancy language. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to be fancy. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Will Byers, eighty nine point one in terms of ADP. Lost a year, lost a lot of last year to injury, but paced out as extremely productive. He loses first base eligibility, but gains third base. He still ran, so the power speed package is intact. What do you make of the San Diego Star? Uh, it's all really health related, right? That, that, I mean, that's it for me. Um, and yeah, I, it is. You're right. I, I just, I don't know. You had suggested that he might play third. Was it? Well, he he did play third. He, he did. Played, he played over 20 games at third base last year. I believe it was about mm-hmm. 30. Well, he's definitely never playing first again. Um. Well, not on San Diego. Yeah. Ooh, true, true. There has been some speculation that he might be the guy that gets moved. If he if he lands a gig and he's back at first base, I'm like really really interested. Um, but yeah, I mean he did put two seasons together of 600, 600 plus plate appearances. Um, so it's not like he's completely crippled. And again, he rates out like for a very standard Will Myers season. So, uh. I I don't really have a problem with it. No, I, and I don't really have a problem with the ADP either. You know, he's a player that on pace was about a twenty twenty four um, asset. You know, and and I think the power would be a little bit better than that over the course of a full season. Uh, he's got a very good hard contact rate. He's over forty percent. Um, he did shift some fly balls to line drives, but as I stated with Vado. Uh, I'm not terribly concerned about that. I, you know, I, I think that's just variance. I said it about Rizzo as well. Um, a slight tweak and the fly balls come back and he's back to a 25-30 homer bat. Um, you know, he's 27, even though he seems a lot older than that. He's still on a bad team, but it's an up-and-coming team. We might see Fernando Tatis this year. 
Um, but, you know, given the fact that the team probably isn't going to be competitive this year, I don't expect the steals to dry up if he's there. Um, but, you know, it, like you said, Joe, I mean, this is really just all about health. Is this going to be a year he's going to stay healthy? And if he's not playing first, I don't have a lot of confidence. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, Even at third base, I don't know how I feel about that. It's no, a more physically I, demanding position. It's definitely a more physically demanding position. Um, but, you know, if he does stay healthy, he's the top 50 asset going at around 90. Um, and, you know, there might even be a little bit more upside than that if he can pull off like a 30-20 something season. Um, so he's an interesting player. He's definitely an interesting play at this point. I I was out on him last year when he was going, what was it, like a – he's basically like going like top 50. Yeah, yeah like, so like 48 or so. So, you know, and then that to me was drafting him at the ceiling. This is not drafting him in his ceiling. So I could see taking him. I think the price is good. I don't, I don't think it's fantastic. I don't think it screams by to me. And I think because he's such an injury risk that it is it is sort of a team comp pick. It depends on how much risk, risk you've taken at this point. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're going with the I'm going to fill out stolen bases at every position strategy, he kind of fits in. Otherwise, I think uh, I'm going to kind of jump into the next guy. I think two picks later, Miguel Andahar at 91.8, I'd feel a lot more comfortable taking. Oh, well, speaking of Miguel Andujar, nice segue, Joe. I'm so good at that. The rookie came up and raked and raked and raked last year. Can he overcome poor patience for a repeat? And do you think the patience could take a leap forward instead? Uh, So the, I think he can continue despite the patience because he's got, he's got the profile of an elite bat-to-ball guy. Um, the Z contact score is 91.8%. It's fantastic. He chases a lot. Um, he also swings a lot, um, like the other guys, like Baez and Montesi. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he can he can definitely protect himself um, against huge uh, huge floors, despite despite not really walking all that much. Um, he still doesn't strike out a lot, even though he chases a lot. Um, can he improve? Uh, yeah, certainly. I think, I think his like upside is probably still high single digit walk rates. Um, as he, as he gets older, but I mean, he's what, 22, 23. Um, and with such, such great bat to ball skills already, um, it's hard to, to think that the floor isn't like 20 to 70. I mean, it's going to come with no stolen bases, but... Yeah, no, there's no stolen bases here. Um, yeah, I'm not convinced that the patience matters, given the hit tool. I mean, I think he's such a good contact guy. He's got such good bat-to-ball skills that, um, you know, I'm, I'm just not convinced that it really matters. And, you know, you consider the hit tool with the lineup and the stadium, um, you know... He's, a, he's an average to above average power guy in another park. It might be an issue, but in Yankee Stadium, there's no reason he can't hit 25, 27 homers. 
um, every year because the ballpark is so favorable. And, you know, that's going to come with plus run production in that lineup in that stadium. Um, and, you know, even to the point on power, last year in the second half he hit more flies. So maybe he's trying to tap a little bit more into his power and maybe there's some upside there. Um, and, you know, even if the homer to fly ball regresses a little bit, if he's going to keep more, he's going to hit more fly balls, then, you know, that might make up for the regression. Uh, my one cautionary tale when it comes to Endahar is that his defense is an issue. Yeah. Uh, so there's some speculation that he might move to first base if the Yankees sign somebody to play third base, uh, <coughs> i.e., Manny Machado. <laughs> yeah. And if they do that, then, you know, the, the leash gets a little tighter at first base. Um, so it is something to watch. Um, but I think this is a pretty fair prize. I think most drafts are going to have them go a little higher than this. So yeah, the uh, Yankee, Yankee, tax. Yankee premium um, plus shiny new young toy premium. I, I just think that this price might even be a little low for where he ends up going. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong though. We both liked Andohar better than Torres, right? Yeah, well, not long term, but last no, year. No, yeah, last year. Yeah, because I remember, I remember in spring training, we, I, I think even Nick was on board too. That we were all like, Andohar might, might win the job. We thought he might win the job, um, and he'd be playing longer, and be better immediately. So, I, I mean, I think that was the podcast take. I don't know. I could be wrong. I think that you're correct. I believe that's what we had said. Yeah, that, go, going forward, I think Torres is the better player. But Yeah, I think long-term Torres will be the better player. But Andujar was definitely a player that we were um, optimistic on to start last year. Yeah. Okay, Michael Conforto, 98 in ADP. Are you sold that the early season struggles were rust from the injury or – and are you willing to pay to find out? What's your take? Well, to me, the splits make it pretty evident. He had 17 homers in the second half, 273 batting average, 895 OPS. Those are top-end numbers over 292 plate appearances. Uh, they're For context, they're similar to Jesus Aguilar if you pace out for a full year. And that's a top-50 type bat at pick 100, basically. And that's without factoring in Conforto's pure hit tool um, and the potential for him to raise the batting average closer to 300, which I think is within the realm of outcomes. Um, you know, at first glance, I thought 98 might be a little expensive, but having dug deeper and, and you know, actually re-adjusted uh, my rankings based upon my findings – I got Conforto at 91. So I'm actually thinking this price is a little bit discounted. Um, and, and I'm fairly optimistic. You know, I, I think I think that he's shown in the second half he's healthy. We've seen him be excellent for stretches. I imagine there will be a full year where he puts it together, both health and production, um, probably long after he leaves the Mets. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I still think that he's um, – Probably a, a fairly underrated hitter, and there's still 
potential for more beyond what we've seen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's more power upside. Um, I think he's probably more like a true like 265, 270 hitter. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I see like, you know, really, really high batting average upside. Um, but regardless, all right, I, I think I'm mostly with you. And in OPS leagues, he, he gets a, an incredible boost. I mean, his career walk rate is 12%. Um, so, yeah, he, he's money. I, I think I think he can definitely eclipse 30 home runs one year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I think this right, – right now, I think this sounds like a good price. This doesn't sound over or too under – undervalued i just want to make clear because i said pushing it closer to 300 that i probably see best case his batting average being like 290 285 290 yeah okay yeah i mean i could see that like you know a good amount of batted ball up one year and you know a couple of line drives land yeah and and i think i'm probably a little bit higher than you on you know, sort of my mid-road projection in terms of batting average, I'd probably have him around 275, um, you know, which is a couple of infield hits or a couple of blue fly balls away from where you were. But I just wanted to make clear where I was, at yeah. least at this point. Cool. Okay, Malik Smith, 113.2. Given the opportunity, Malik's turned into a major cog in Tampa. Do you foresee an encore for him? What a – and – what about a rise in his ADP considering the emphasis that continues to be placed on speed? Yeah, I mean, so you touched on it already, how um, on your solo show, the deal with speed. And I think you speak for the podcast on speed, so I'm not going to get really too much into that. Um, but as far as uh, Malik Smith, so I'd rather have Smith over D. Gordon at this point um, because one isn't a significantly greater risk than the other, I think, um, in terms of in terms of playing time um smith was at a 22.9 percent as far um for his <laughs> career so i know i i you know just before i gave d crap for stealing at a smaller rate um but smith is essentially the same exact player given uh, the same amount of plate appearances so yeah sure smith has some playing time issues with austin meadows in the mix um, but Fam, Meadows himself, and Kiermaier, none of them are a clean bill of health. So they're like it's 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 players like this, oftentimes that um, we as a fantasy community miss. Um, and me and Toby were talking about this on uh, Back with Crazy podcast. How you know a, a guy like Jesus Aguilar, right? He um, he just needed playing time. Even Tommy Pham, right, when he broke out last year, he just needed playing time. And it's something like Malik Smith too, right? He just needed a little, little bit of playing time, and he gets the stolen bases. So um, it's not very difficult to see that one of those three outfielders get hurt, and then Smith is back in it. And he's cheaper than D. Gordon. Yeah, Malik's is interesting on a couple of levels to me. Uh, in the first instance, he's not Billy Hamilton or D. Gordon in that he knows how to take a walk. Um Combine that with some nice gains on the um, K percentage front. Oh, he and does overall he contact. He does know how to take a walk. Yeah, he does. Yeah, okay. I don't know if that's what you said. That's not what I heard. Just wanted to clarify. <laughs> okay, yeah, I meant that 
D Gordon and Billy Hamilton don't, and Malix does. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And when you combine that with gains in terms of K percentage and overall contact, Malik starts to look more like a 275, 350 OBP bat, with which his speed makes him extremely dangerous. Now, the downside is, is that it's a very crowded situation in Tampa. Um, Tommy Pham, who you mentioned, Kevin Kiermeyer are entrenched, and then you've got Jake Bowers and Austin Meadows lurking. Malik's might not have the leash that some might think he does. And there's also the issue of his defense, which is terrible, um, <laughs> which is kind of ironic because, I mean, you usually think of a fast player as being a plus defender. Uh, that is not the case. He's got really bad instincts. So, you know, at 113, you do run the risk of selecting a fourth outfielder. Um, but you know, again, you're kind of getting to the part of the draft where it's not, it's not bad to take a shot. Um, but in recent years, we've seen these types, um, you know, we've been down the road with players of the silk and rarely have they cashed Jose Peraza, the line of the shields, Ender and Ciarte all were going in this area at peak in recent years and all failed to cash in at that cost. And as I mentioned, you know, in my question, you know, I, I expect Malik's ADP to rise. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was 50 on player radar. Um, and he still spaces, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if D and Malik Smith get closer. Um, uh, it just feels so dirty taking taking these one-dimensional players so high. Well, he's not, I guess, one-dimensional, but close to one-dimensional. Yeah, well, I mean, it all comes down to, all right, fine, is he going to hit 275 again with the 350 OBP? Because if he does that, he's going to probably hit lead off, and you presume he'll play most of the year. Yeah. And then he'll score some runs and, you know, the rest of the magic that comes with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm I forgot about Bowers to be honest. Um, so he kind of really needs two of them to get hurt, um, which is still definitely possible. Well, Bowers can play first, right? Oh yeah, sure, sure. That's true. And I I mean I'd be honestly very surprised if the three of them all get more than six hundred play appearances next year. Yeah, and I mean you know we've we've got. Kiermaier's got his history of injuries. Yeah, I mean, Kiermaier's got his. Break a rib doing something. Fam will screw up something. And Meadows, too. I mean, yeah. Meadows will probably run and pop another hamstring. Yes, it's completely possible that all those guys, <laughs> yeah. you know, suffer injuries at one time or another, and Malx gets his way into the playing time anyway. Yeah, and so that's kind of why I'd rather have Smith 40 picks later. Because, uh, again, right, like, D. Gordon got crunched a little bit um, at times. So, yeah. I'd rather have the 40 picks of Alex Smith if I had to choose. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If I made it 20 picks, does that change the analysis? Nah, I'd still rather have value. What about straight up? Uh, then give me D. Okay. What, what, where are you on that? <sighs> Come on, you can't ask and not expect me to throw it back. Yeah. 
I think I'll take D, but I think it's like strictly positional eligibility. Like if D was outfield only, I might just take Malix. Yeah, yeah. Because D's got second base and short. I think all formats, and he's also got short in five games. Hmm. So with that eligibility, I think that pushes him over the top. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, Aaron Hicks, 119.4. Mr. Ligatino's favorite player. Is this low, or do you think the price is right on Aaron Hicks? So, Player Raider had him at 98 last year. Um, I realized that he was hurt, um, banged up, in and out of the lineup. Um, but not that bad, right? Uh, no, I mean, he ended up at 137 games, which is probably where he's going to end up every year. Yeah, you know, just to that. just to rotate, they you know they spell guys. Um, he does have a little bit of a track record of being banged up here and there, um, so this doesn't leave a lot of room for uh, for any downside. I mean, right? Like even after last year, he was pretty much he was pretty much at this price, right? I mean, he, he wasn't going at this price, but he ended up right, right around 100. So there's not a lot of surplus value here, unless if you really see his uh, home run numbers ticking up a bunch. But, <clears throat> you know, his barrels were only like 8, 8.7%, I think it was. So it's not like he's 8.8%, which is good, um, but not, you know, not 40 home run pop. I mean, uh, this, this sounds about right, all, all told. I mean, I've said this before when, we, when we've talked about Hicks, and, and I think this is where the rise at ADP may come from, which is not the power, but I think people are going to look at the walk and strikeout rates and think that – and then the BABIP and think that he's going to have some batting average due to him. And it, it's not going to come. Um, he's a player that's got that Carlos Santana type profile in terms of very heavy on the fly balls, not a lot of line drives. Uh, he's, he is a, he is the player that he is in terms of batting average, but I can see people making that mistake. Um, and then also, you know, like we said with the playing time, Oh, he was banged up last year and think that, Oh, well, what happens if he gets another 20 games? Well, that's not really who Aaron Hicks is at this point. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I, I mean. I mean, we've been we've been down this road with him. He gets hurt. He gets nicked up. And the Yankees are a type of team that's going to have enough talent that they're going to want to keep Aaron Hicks healthy. Um, this isn't to say that he's bad. I, I mean, he's a four-category guy. Um, the fact that the batting average is low is going to hurt you in traditional formats. But he knows how to get on base in OBP. Um, and the fact that he's knows how to get on base is going to help him post healthy run totals. Um, depending on where he hits in the lineup, the RBI should be there. He's going to run enough. He's going to hit for enough power to be assets there. So he's a four category guy and, and that's awesome. So, I mean, you know, at this price, he's definitely worth the pick, but I think you just need to be careful because I know there are going to be people out there that are going to look at, the strikeout rate, the walk rate, and the BABIP and say, oh, well, this is a guy that could hit like 270. And if he hits 270, 
275 with uh, 25 homers and 15 steals. He's a monster. But it's just it's not in his it's not in his game. He would have to undergo a, a change, which we're years into his career now. So I mean, if you want to bet on a change that hasn't happened yet, that's fine. But process says that he's been what he's been, and he's going to continue to be that unless we hear something else. Yeah. So his expected batting average for his career is two forty seven. And what did he hit last year? He hit like what, 245? He hit last year 248. His expected batting average was 257 last okay. year. Um, the year before that, though, he hit 266, and his expected batting average is 242. So he's probably like actually a 250 hitter. Yeah. Yeah, which is right, pretty much right where he was at this year. Um, yeah, and again, right, like what I said, right, so with the 27 home runs, 11 stolen bases, and uh, 248, right, he was right inside the top 100. Um, at 120, there is some value, right, but he's another guy that can get hurt and miss half the season, um, so there's not a lot of wiggle room. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad. Like, I wouldn't say, oh, you drafted Aaron Hicks at 120, you're an idiot. But, <laughs> again, it's just not a ton of value, surplus value. Yeah, I agree I agree with that. I mean, there is there is some room for the profit there, but it's just not – you're not talking mega millions. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking Powerball. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice one. All right, Eric Hosmer, 156.3, and Miguel Caparo, 168.4. So, Joe, would you rather have the safe yet boring and rather unproductive Eric Hosmer <laughs> or the risk play in Miguel Cabrera at about the same price? All right, so for I actually wrote this question. So uh, you, you would have thought Pat did, but I actually <laughs> wrote it. Um, I mean, can, can the option be neither? Man, this no. This is tough. Well, I mean, you wrote the question. <laughs> I know. I know. Ugh. I mean, I thought Miggy looked toast. Um, but I know I'm getting like an absolute zero in Eric Cosmer. So give me Miguel Cabrera. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I again, it's the same sort of thing. I know this is a cop out, but I want to see him in spring training. And I feel like I'll very comfortably know whether or not he's going to be good. Yeah. I'd rather have Miggy, um, you know, maybe he can get healthy and come back and put together a really strong 130 games. Um, he's on pace to start the year. Cabrera could still hit and maybe the power is more 20 to 25 than 35 to 40 over a full season pace. But with an elite batting average, I, I can deal with like 25 homer pace power and good per game run production because hitting three in that lineup, he's still going to have Nick Castellanos there. Um, you know, he's, he's going to find his way into runs and RBIs on a per game basis just because of who he is. And, you know, we've sort of said this about Hosmer before, but with Mickey, I mean, if he's hurt, like I can get rid of him. I can put him on the DL and I can pick up somebody else 
who can be, you know, a reasonable approximation of another first baseman I can get at this point, which is going to be like a 250, 25, 30 homer guy. I can find that. So my upside to taking Miggy here is, is I get the elite batting average. My downside is very minimal. Whereas with Hosmer, the one thing you have to be able to say about Hosmer is, is that he's extremely durable. Now, that's good, I guess, in a real baseball sense <laughs> to some people. But <laughs> he's he's also the type of player that you take and you either have got to cut bait, which no one ever seems willing to do, or you have to hold him and hope that the Babbitt turns his way in that given year. So if, if you're doing that, you're, you're, you're really entrusting the production to complete luck and you're unable in most instances to move on from Hosmer. And if he's having a bad year, he, he sinks you for an entire year. It's not like Miggy where if Miggy's hurt and gone after, you know, May 15th, I can replace him. Hosmer continues to play and hit 260 with 15 homers on the season and seven, seven steals. Yo, Eric Hosmer is the San Francisco Giants. Listen to these batting averages. 293, 232. 302, 297. 297, 266. 318, 253. Next year, probably like 290. <laughs> yeah, we it's would like think that. Year. We would think that, but then what happens to the San Francisco Giants is the good year never came. <laughs> yeah. Right? This yeah. was supposed to be the good year, and... They were, they were terrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, uh, again, right? Um, this is going to be one that I wouldn't feel comfortable drafting Miggy until I see him. Okay. Let's... Where are we going I, next? I was going doing? to... Uh, uh, well, Harrison Bader is up next. But uh, I was going to try and throw you another name. Ooh, throw me a bone. So, all right. So, fine. Miggy... You're worried about the injury, and you're worried that he's toast. Yeah. So, Justin Smoke. Or or Miggy. Or Hosmer. Or Hosmer. Oh, my God, Pat. What are you doing to me? Give me Justin Smoke. Yeah, give me, give me freaking Justin Smoke. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, Harrison Bader, 159.4. That's this is a low for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, are you gonna put Eric Cosmer in your bold predictions again this year? Oh my god, what an idiot! <laughs> what an idiot! <laughs> oh my god. All right, Harrison Bader. Let's talk All about right, Bader. Yep. Let's talk about good things. It's Bader time. Um, the Cardinals have said it's Bader time in center next year. He's Put up fourth Kiermaier-esque love work, which actually overshadowed a 12-homer, 15-steal campaign. 
that balloons to 18 homers and 22 steals at a full season rate, the market appears to be in based on price. Are you? Yes, I think. I think. Right? So um, only reason is because we're going to talk about someone later that you raised my eyebrows for sure. But um, I did get a chance to look at a lot of tape on Bader, um, and I like what I see. He's incredibly fast. I think given ample playing time, 15 to 18 stolen bases is actually going to be his floor, um, not the norm. Um, he's not incredibly aggressive on the paths with a 12.2% S-bar, right, which is like, um, again, half of the elite elite guys. But I think that could still put him comfortably in the 25, 26 stolen base range. Um, what I've seen so far from Bader, he's got a pretty measured approach at the plate. He can go with pitches, poke them to the opposite field. And again, he's so fast that he's able to mitigate any hiccups in his plate discipline, specifically his contact. Um, so with 15 to 20 home run pop and, you know, closer to like 25 or so stolen base speed, um, I think you've got yourself like a mini Starling Marte kind of late. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think Bader's a player that's got a few layers. First, the Cardinals have said he's going to be the primary center fielder. That's good. But barring a trade, they have four outfielders for three spots. So That's bad. There might be some volume problems. Um, and, and another team context issue, where is Bader hitting in this lineup? Last season, Bader was mostly in the bottom third. Yeah. So there's a run production issue, even if he does play every day. Um, you know, in terms of talent, cream rising to the top, I think Bader is outstanding defensively, and that might keep him in the lineup. Speed is very much for real, and that combined with a strong bat of ball profile makes me think the BABIP is going to be more real than not. The power, I think, is will be about what you can expect. I do think that there is the potential for more in the future. So I think he's a high-teens power guy a low to mid 20 steel guy with a 265, 270 batting average. He's a very nice player, um, particularly in a world where speeds are so speed is so scarce. Um, now the concern is, is that if the Babbitt doesn't go his way, he just strike out 29% of the time. I could see some growth there um, from Bader. Um, I think the strikeout rate was a little high, Um probably would have expected him to be around 25%. And in future years with some growth, I could see him getting down into the low 20s. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I do have a lot of hope for him as a player. I just think, like you said, I, 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 Ramon Laureano, I think that's how you say his name, or Laureano. Laureano. Uh, Laureano is, is, a, is we're going to talk about him a little later. And I think he's a fairly identical player. Um, and he's going 60, 70 picks later. I, I think I'd rather have him, but I, I can certainly make the case for Bader at 160. Okay, Kyle Seeger at 207. Uh, Kyle Seeger struggled for most of the year. His ADP says he's pretty much toast. Is there any bounce back potential here? Um, I think that depends on what you feel bounce back is. I think he's totally capable of still hitting 250 to 265 again with 25 or so home runs. Um, he's another one I've gotten a chance to look at. I looked at a lot of the guys at the bottom of this list because um, I thought a lot of the players at the top 
you know, we're, we're mostly um, well-established players. Um, so he's still got a really, really good eye, a very, very patient approach, and can still do his fair share of going with pitches. Um, again, after watching him a bit, it's no surprise that his expected batting average is higher than his actual batting average. Um, you know, it kind of looked that way on, on a lot of the, his batted balls. A lot of his balls were hard hit right to right to defenders. Um, so there was some bad luck. He also stuck. Uh, he was also stuck behind Nelson Cruz at five for a lot of the year, so his RBI totals weren't totally killed. Um, if he just hits a smidge better, I think that'll help improve those numbers, and he can provide a bit of surplus value. I mean, he's not going to win you a league anymore, um, but I think there's still value there. Yeah, I think Seager is kind of a player that's gone from underrated to overrated, possibly to back underrated now. There were some health issues here. He broke his toe at the end of June. Um, at that time, he had 15 homers. And then over the next three months, which was a near 300-plate appearance span, he hit only eight, and his slugging declined about 60 points. Um, he deserved a little better in the BABIP department last year as well. He's a 280 BABIP guy on his career. And he had a healthy line drive rate. That's an indicator of a turnaround. Uh, in 2017, he went a little fly ball crazy. This year, he reverted a little bit. So don't let the two-year trend on his batting average fool you. Um, you know, I, I expect Kyle Seager to be Kyle Seager. I think that maybe the discomfort led to a bad second half, or maybe it was just bad luck and on the homer and bad at ball front, or maybe it was both. Um you know, I, I think he's a player that can hit 25, 30 bombs and about a 260 average in a good lineup. He's not spectacular, but at this price, I, I really like him. I think that when you compare him now to Eric Hosmer, some 60 picks earlier, I know they don't play the same position, but at that point you're really looking at like a corner or a utility. I'd much rather wait and get Kyle Seeger than, than take Eric Hosmer. Yeah, yeah. Again, I, I mean, I feel really comfortable that he's going to hit, like, 250. I think the floor is probably, like, 245 next year. Um, the, he still passes the eye test to me. Yeah. Okay, Adam Eaton, 207.5 in terms of ADP. Joe, you know I had to get your boy on here. Eaton was hurt for a good portion of last year. But was the player you expected when he was in there? 300 average, about a 15-20 steal base. Is this worth? Is this a worthwhile gamble to you, or are you finally out on Adam Eaton? Uh, so part of me think this is a pretty good price, right? The injuries are baked in at this price, I think. Um, Eaton had a pretty average 5% S-bar. Um, I'm throwing this all over the place. I'm going to make it happen. Um but still projected out to his usual 15 or so stolen bases, right? A lot of his value is really just tied up to how high he hits in the order. Um, he's always been a solid on-base percentage guy, so he's not a huge risk risk to be pushed down. Um, <clears throat> plus, with Harper out of the equation, it's really just him, Soto, and Ro Robles. Um, and, I, I mean, I guess there's Michael Taylor, but I don't think Robles will uh, jump to the top right away. So that really leaves Eaton, I think, pretty protected. Um, I mean, Soto could push him out, right? Because you figure Turner is going to be up there. Although Turner Turner has been pushed down before too before. So, um, 
Yeah, I think I think a lot of the injuries are baked in at this price, so I'm still going to be in. Yeah, I'm in at this price as well. Um, the biggest reason is something I've been adamant about, which is batting average. And with Eaton, you sort of have the inverse of Michael Brantley. A little power, a little more speed with that elite batting average. And he also has the Michael Brantley problem that we saw last year, which was you know, he can't stay healthy. So at pick 200, I think the risk is pretty much accounted for, as you said, Joe. We've been drafting Eaton pretty much at his ceiling, but in round 16, 17, and a 12-teamer, there's some profit potential here if he plays most of the year. Um, and the big plus is that if he does get hurt, my waiver replacement is comparable to players that are going around him. I can replace a 10-homer, 15-steal guy um, and the batting average won't be much worse than what was available at this point. But with Eaton, it certainly is. So yeah, I'll take the shot. Point. And, you know, uh, if Eaton gets hurt, I'll replace him with somebody comparable to who I could have gotten anyway. Yeah, and again, it's it's worth noting that every even even in the years, when, even these past two years when he's been hurt, he's still paced out for some really, really excellent run run totals and it's just because like i said right he's an on-base guy and you know if for whatever reason he was pushed down in the lineup that that is a huge huge hit to his value but as long as he's still hitting at the top of the lineup um he paces out for really good run run totals still so he's a plus in runs and he's a plus in batting average and it, yeah it picked 207 uh that's pretty good value Okay, let's move to the aforementioned Ramon Lariano, uh, ADP of 217. He's the A's version of Harrison Bader, playing solid defense with power and speed. Um, Lariano posted a 19-18 homer steal season across 450 plate appearances between the minors and the majors. Are you in on Lariano, and does his price make you think twice about Bader? So definitely makes me think twice. Um, I hadn't really put too much thought into it before I read your outline. So uh, good job, Pat. Um, and I, it is good to see that Loriano has had a lot of success, um, despite what it looks like a small frame. I mean, he's listed at 5'11", 185. Um, but he, he, in the bat, batter's box, he looks kind of small. Um, so towards the, the very end of the season... He started to lead off, which is very good for the, the potential stolen base numbers. While you had mentioned before, Pat, Bader never really got pushed too far up in the lineup. Um, I think often the highest, like with any regular regularity, he batted was like six. And most yep. of the time it was seven. Um, like I had mentioned to you offline, the place I think Bader hasn't beat is home run upside. Um, I think I could just see the power developing a bit more for Bader with closer to, like, you know, 20, 25-ish home runs. Um, or more like tw like 23, 25-ish home runs. Um, and I just don't really see that power stroke in Loriano's swing. But, right, we're not talking about long-term upside. So uh, for 60 picks <clears throat> and probably a relatively similar player, and he's got – Loriano's got a pretty good hit tool. Um He's also got his fair share of strikeout, strikeouts, and he's got a little bit of holes too. Um, but you know, you might 
close your eyes and look again. And at the end of the day, Bader and Loriano were pretty close. Um, so I think this is a pretty good find by you, Pat. Yeah, I mean, Loriano's a good defender. He can hit for some power. He can run. He had a plus Babip, but like Bader, the plus Babip skills come with good hard contact and line drive rates. So they may be sustainable to some extent. Solid discipline skills. I think the K rate might be a little misleading. Much like I said about Bader, you know, we're looking at mid 20s to low 20s in terms of where I think he probably should be. Um, and that may offset some Babbitt regression. Um, and, and and as you said, I mean, there's a shot that this is the part-time leadoff guy. And even if it's a short side deal, you know, where he's hitting seventh against righties and then leadoff against lefties, it's still a better situation than what Bader is going to have in St. Louis, at least on his face. I mean, yeah, maybe Matt Carpenter gets hurt and blah, 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 blah. And Bader finds his way to the top of the lineup somehow. Yeah, anything can happen. Anything is possible. But the point is, is that Loriano actually saw time in the role last year on, on a somewhat consistent basis. So he's got a clearer path to a run production role. And if you look at their their player pages, I mean – the skills couldn't be more identical. Now, in terms of longer-term value, dynasty leagues, I'd rather have Bader. I think Bader's got more upside. But as far as this year goes, I mean, I'd much rather have Loriano, who I think is fairly identical to Bader almost 40 picks later. At I don't least know at this I, point. I don't know if I'd much rather, right? Because I still think that Bader, I don't know. I think they could be close, right? Like I said, you could close your eyes and they could be close. Um, but at the same time, if Bader makes some some gains and he's a little bit more aggressive on the paths, despite, um, you know, I know you mentioned that um, he wasn't very effective in, in the minor leagues, actually for his career um, at stealing bases, but he did take a big jump at the major league level. Um, so with that said, you know, I, I think Bader has the potential even next year to go like 18, 25, 26. Whereas I don't know. I just don't see it with Loriano. I think Loriano is probably closer to like 15, 20 at best. So I think there's a little bit more upside. I don't know if it's 40 picks of upside, right? Like, I don't know if five stolen bases and four home runs or three home runs is worth 40 picks. Um, so I, I guess I mean that's pretty much what you said. <laughs> you said, yeah, you, said you, you said you said you think Bader has more upside. So yeah, I, I'm not really arguing with you. I'm just arguing with myself right now. Yeah, I mean in a vac in a vacuum, like at the same cost, I think I'd still rather have Bader. But with 40 picks, you know, four rounds separating them, I think I'd rather have Loriano. And Loriano does have some advantages over Bader, be them situational. Sure. Um, which, you know, isn't always the best indicator. But, you know, some of this game is opportunity, too. And, I mean, Loriano is going to see part-time leadoff at bats in what is a very good lineup. Um, you know, I think his run production might be higher than Bader's, barring Bader finding his way to the top of the Cardinals lineup somehow. Yeah, which is – which I think is the, the biggest hurdle, right? With Jose Martinez and, and Carpenter. 
um, and Ozuna. They're not going to budge Ozuna. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's tough to get to the top of that Cardinals lineup. All right, well, why don't we wrap it up there? Um, that'll do it for this week's episode. Joe and I will be back in a few weeks to do the same thing with the pitcher ADP. Uh, and, and you can be on the lookout for a solo cast um, somewhere along the line. I don't know if it'll be in between Joe and I show or if it will come shortly thereafter. Um, and maybe I might even get a guest in so that way I'm not talking to myself because, damn it, I get lonely sometimes. Um, but thanks so much for listening. Uh, we expect for the technical issues with respect to the iTunes feed to be resolved um, in short order. We are still working on it very diligently. And um, thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace out.